to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. My earliest memory of the flu is actually shockingly a really good one. My mom, a single mom, and I got sick together when I was about five years old, which meant my little baby brother, who's four years younger than I am, had to be shipped off to my grandparents' house. And so I got my mom all to myself for five days. And to make matters even better, my mom had been planning to have a party. I guess it must have been around the holidays. And she baked a yellow cake with chocolate frosting. And it was the night before we both got sick. The party got canceled. Single mom on the sofa with the flu, five-year-old girl on the sofa with the flu, baby brother out of the picture, and all we could eat for five days was that yellow cake with chocolate frosting. Now, that memory aside, I've had the flu once as an adult, and it's a miserable illness. I mean, you just ache. The traditional name for flu is breakbone fever, and if you've ever had it, you know why. You can have a tremendously high fever and just be so uncomfortable. So chocolate cake and time alone with mom aside, the flu is not something any of us really want to have. So let's talk today about how to prevent the flu naturally, how to treat it, and overall, these same tips are great for optimizing wintertime immune support for you, your family, your kids. Let's start by talking just briefly about what is the flu. The flu is a shorthand term for influenza, which is a contagious respiratory virus caused by a group of viruses called the flu virus. And it can cause anywhere from a relatively mild illness to a really severe illness. And the reason that the CDC, physicians, the government are so terrified of the flu is that there have been incidences of pandemics throughout history. Pandemics are infections that spread really far and wide. So for example, the flu epidemic of the, or the flu pandemic of the early 1900s literally wiped out populations of people around the world. I mean, it just decimated millions and millions of communities and killed enormous numbers of people. So naturally, it's something that healthcare folks are pretty scared of happening again. And as you've probably heard, even in the last few decades, we've had terrors around things like swine flu or avian flu or H1N1. And these have been scary, but often actually the predictions have been much worse than what actually has happened. So let's talk about the flu today, what you can do to prevent it, who might need the flu vaccine, what are some of the issues around the flu vaccine and whether you might choose to get it or not, and then what you can do to prevent the flu naturally with natural lifestyle, herbs and supplements, and what about kids and pregnant and breastfeeding mamas. So let's start out with flu symptoms. Influenza symptoms are slightly different from a cold the flu usually comes on very suddenly, and people who have it usually feel all or some of the following symptoms. Often, the main symptoms are fever and chills, a headache, and really severe muscle or body aches. 
there's often a mild cough, a sore throat, runny or stuffy nose. So, you know, typical cold symptoms and a lot of fatigue. Some people may have some vomiting and loose stools, but that's actually more common in kids and adults. And not everyone who has the flu has a fever or all of these symptoms. Some people just get a very mild cold-like syndrome. But if you have intense aches, high fever, headache, and we're in flu season, which typically is around October to March, although a couple of years ago, we had a second wave of the flu in the spring, which was even worse. That was very unusual. We had a second wave April and May. It's typically this time of year, and those are the, those are the classic symptoms. Most people who get the flu recover in several days and certainly usually in less than two weeks. Some of the symptoms that can be residual might be a little bit of fatigue usually that happens as you're recovering. And some of that is we just often don't give ourselves enough chance to convalesce. You know, my great grandmother was actually an herbalist and healer, and she used to say that we need to rest for every day that we actually had the illness. So if you think about an illness lasting three to five days, in her worldview, we need three to five days of recovery or recuperation time. But in our culture, we tend to you know, get right back up and get going, sometimes even before we're finished being done with our infection. And we use things like ibuprofen to push ourselves, to allow ourselves to get back on our feet when what we really need to do is recovery. So a lot of times, if we don't allow ourselves ample recovery time from an illness, we either have a relapse or we get what's called a secondary infection. And the complications of the flu for otherwise healthy people are pretty rare. It's usually people who have some kind of a predisposing factor that makes them more likely to develop a complication. Now, anyone who has the flu can get severely ill, but people who are more likely to get severely ill are young children, adults over 65 pregnant women, and anyone with a medical condition who's already at risk of complications in general. So for example, people who have diabetes and they're poorly controlled on their blood sugar, people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or those with asthma. Some of the more common complications of flu include sinus and ear infections that happen sort of secondary to having the flu. And those can be viral or bacterial ear infections. And then pneumonia can be a complication of the flu. So what you want to look out for is if you're not getting better or symptoms are getting worse, then you definitely want to get checked out by your doctor or in the emergency department. Rarely there can be even more serious complications, including heart inflammation, which is called myocarditis, brain inflammation called encephalitis, or muscle inflammation called myositis, or you can even have some breakdown of the muscle called rhabdomyolysis, your breakdown of the tissue. And you can have kidney problems and respiratory problems. So, you know, it's not an illness to be taken lightly by any means. What you want to look for is you get sick and you're having sort of normal flu symptoms like I described, and then you start to get better after three to five days with maybe some lingering symptoms. But if you're not feeling well and it just seems, a you know, out of proportion to what you would expect, or if a family member, your child seems sick out of proportion to what you would expect, then certainly get evaluated. Which kind of brings us to the question of, you know, what about getting the flu vaccine? Look, the flu is a miserable illness, even if you just get a moderate case of it. When I had it one time as an adult, I mean, it was just horrible. I slept for five days straight and I ached all over. And, you know, I just kept dosing myself with 
uh, herbal remedies, which really allowed me to rest and get through without complications or medications. But it was it was uncomfortable, and it took me out for you know a good five days. So you, you kind of want to think about that, right? In weighing your algorithm of whether or not to get the flu vaccine, is you know what happens if you do get sick now. The CDC recommends that everyone get the flu vaccine basically every year. There are some key groups that I've already mentioned, but I'll repeat, that would benefit most from getting the flu vaccine and a few others that I didn't mention. So if you're a healthcare worker who's directly caring for patients, you're more likely to get exposed to the flu and you're more likely to therefore get the flu. Pregnant women, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, I'm going to circle back around to that, are at higher risk if you do get the flu, because you're just, if you get a high fever when you're pregnant, that can have implications for the baby. If you have young children, then you are more likely to get sick, but you're also more likely if you do get the flu, same as if you're a healthcare worker, to pass it on to the babies or the um, adults that you're caring for. And then any adults who have an underlying medical condition, like I mentioned, asthma, heart disease, diabetes, or if you have immune suppression because you either have an immune compromised illness or you're on a medication that suppresses your immune system, for example, certain medications for autoimmune diseases. Now, the rub is here. First of all, the effectiveness of the flu vaccine ranges from as low as 24% as it was a couple of years back to a maximum like 60 to 70% and, and less so in the elderly. Based on a thorough review of the Cochrane database, I personally have to tell you, I am not at all convinced of the value of the flu shot for most people who aren't otherwise high risk or sick. And I'm not convinced at all based on my review of the literature not my opinions about vaccinations, but just on an actual review of the medical literature in the Cochrane database, which anyone can access. I'll put the link below this podcast so you can find it yourself, that the flu shot has effectiveness for kids, especially kids under two. Now, pregnant women, it's a little bit more complicated, and I have a separate blog on the effectiveness and safety of the flu shot in pregnancy. So you'll see the link below this podcast where I have a discussion of that. You want to also keep in mind that it takes 10 to 14 days after getting vaccinated to gain immunity. So if you've been exposed, getting vaccinated now isn't going to help you for this current infection. Or if you got exposed in the two-week window after getting the flu shot, it might not help either. So, you know, you want to kind of think about that. If you already have flu symptoms, if you know you've just been exposed, getting the vaccine at this moment in time may or may not help you. After you've recovered, then you can rethink that decision. Also, keep in mind that the multi-dose flu vial, which is the most common kind still used, does contain mercury. If you want to get the vaccination, the workaround for that is to ask your doctor for the for the preloaded injection. That's a single use. It's the you're the only one that's going to get that, as opposed to the multi-dose vial where you see a doctor stick a needle into a big vial of medication and withdraw the you know pull back on the syringe and withdraw the amount needed for you. That kind has mercury as a preservative. You know, in full disclosure, I am not someone who is against vaccinations. You know, some of you have heard me talk about this before. When I went to Haiti and worked as a medical care provider there for a month, about four years ago, I saw a woman dying on the street of diphtheria. 
you know, this is a vaccine preventable illness that we don't have in the United States anymore for a variety of reasons. But one of those does have to do with having vaccinations. Others have to do with hygiene and other changes in nutrition and improvements that we've had culturally. I did not see any children there die of tetanus, but tetanus is rampant down there, which is completely vaccine preventable. So I am not opposed to the appropriate use of vaccinations. But I'm also very realistic. We know, for example, that the National Institutes of Health did a white paper a few years ago looking at vaccines and vaccine adverse effects. And they make it very clear that autoimmune diseases, for example, can happen as a result of vaccinations. So we can't be ostriches who bury our head in the sands and say, you know, vaccines are unsafe, let's throw them out. And we also can't be ostriches who bury our head in the sand and say vaccines are all safe, let's just all get them. I think we need to take a hard look and our government and pharmaceutical agencies have to be more accountable to the reality of the adverse effects that really do come from vaccines. You know, I will tell you as a healthcare provider, also as a mother, it's the hardest decision I think we ever have to make. And, you know, with some illnesses, we can basically say, you know what, those don't really exist in the United States anymore. And we can say, how concerned do we have to be? But, but flu does exist. People get it every year. People die from it every year. But the reality is, is that most people get through it just fine with some level of discomfort, but just fine. And so, you know, I can't be prescriptive in telling you what to do. It's a very, very personal decision. And what I would say is be as educated as you can, make an educated decision and realize that this, that decision for the most part is open to reevaluation at any time. You can change your mind and get the flu vaccine if you've decided not to. Obviously, once you've gotten it, you can't undo that. Now, there are several issues with the flu vaccine that you also want to keep in mind. One of them that I mentioned is the effectiveness. It's hugely variable. And when I say 24% a couple of years ago, I'm not kidding. It was 24%. The CDC was basically saying everyone should still get it, but it's only 24% effective, which to me is, is a little bit crazy that everyone should get it. To me, in that case, the high-risk people should get it, and hopefully it would be effective. But even in them, 24% is, is very low. I also have seen incidents where I have had patients come to me who have said to me that they felt that their chronic health symptoms began after they or their child who they were bringing to me received a flu shot or an intranasal inoculation. Now, the intranasal inoculation is a live attenuated virus. It's actually a live virus that's been treated that you're getting. And it's not being recommended this year, for uh, as far as I know at all, or for most people. But I have had people say to me their illnesses, including some severe autoimmune conditions, started very shortly within a couple of weeks of having gotten the flu vaccine. Other conditions that people have reported to me are chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. Now, can this be true and unrelated? Absolutely. But I've heard it enough times that I don't dismiss it. And I know that there is a high rate of dismissal that's well-established in the medical profession when patients come and say they've had an adverse reaction to any medication that is often dismissed by a doctor only within the next year or two for that adverse effect to become a reported known adverse effect from that medication. So, you know, when patients tell me something, I really listen. Am I saying that those conditions are caused 
by the flu vaccine? Absolutely not. But am I saying that if you're someone who has a high family risk of those conditions or other chronic diseases, or if you yourself has a, have a history of them, would I be more suspect about getting the vaccination? Absolutely. There's no right or wrong answer. And again, I do want to reiterate that in my practice, I do recommend vaccination with the flu uh, vaccine, the single injection, non-intranasal killed vaccine for those who are at high risk of complications with compromised immune systems, heart or lung disease, diabetes with poor blood sugar, and those with immune compromise, as well as the frail elderly. And then again, if you're pregnant, you know, it's something to really give a lot of consideration to. In my practice, I generally don't recommend it or give it during pregnancy. Um, same with the DTAP in pregnancy. I usually recommend pregnant women who want it, get it before or get it right after the baby is born. Only because in my worldview, we have escalating rates of health problems in our kids, allergies, asthma, autoimmune conditions, and autism. And we don't know for sure where those are coming from. Is it any one factor? Absolutely not. It's a collection of factors. And so if I can reduce any factors that are going to protect our kids, particularly of medications or treatments or interventions or even environmental exposures that aren't necessarily proven safe or important or effective for kids, I'm absolutely going to work on mitigating those. Now, what about Tamiflu? Tamiflu, or the, the um, pharmaceutical name for it, Oseltamivir, is a particularly interesting medication for me to talk about because there's been a spate of heavy politics surrounding this drug that I've been following for years now. The medication is what's called a neuraminidase inhibitor. It's used to reduce the duration and severity of symptoms of the flu when treatment is started early after the onset of symptoms, so usually within the first 48 hours. And it's also used to prevent shedding of the virus, which can infect others even after the illness has passed. So it's supposed to be given within 48 hours of the start of the flu to be effective in otherwise healthy people, but the manufacturer and medical community has been endorsing the safety of this medication and its effectiveness for years. But maybe recent reports suggest this endorsement wasn't actually warranted or appropriate at all. For about five or six years now, safety data and effectiveness data has been suppressed by the pharmaceutical company that produces this medication. The manufacturer has publicly refused to release this data, and major actions have been taken by the British Medical Journal editor-in-chief, who has been publishing letter letters to the manufacturer documenting its lack of forthcoming responses to requests to publish this information in the journal to force their hand to disclose the evidence for safety and efficacy. The Cochrane Library, the evidence-based repository of medical data that I mentioned that I got my flu data from, which is used by physicians all over the world and considered to be unbiased and reliable, has also been pressing the pharmaceutical company to release this data to no avail. Only recently has some of the data been obtained, and according to a leading Yale researcher and a former professor of mine, Harlan Krumholtz, a true genius and social medicine uh, doctor, the complete evidence paints a much less positive picture 
of oseltamivir then was presented to regulators, policymakers, clinicians, and the public, and important benefits were overestimated, he says, and harms underreported. In particular, one review of the literature that was obtained found, quote, no compelling evidence to support claims that Tamiflu reduces the risk of complications of flu, such as pneumonia and hospital admissions. These claims were used to justify international stockpiling of the drug to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And this was published in the British Medical Journal in 2014. So all told, I am not a Tamiflu fan. I do not ever recommend it to my patients. However, you can take a wait and see approach when you start the flu if you think about taking it and then go get it if you want to, to try to nip it in the bud because you have 48 hours to do it. But I, I will tell you, it is a medication in my practice that I will not prescribe for my patients. If they want it, they have to go somewhere else to get it. There have been reported incidents of neurologic consequences, long lasting and permanent from using this medication. So let's get on a positive note here. What can you do to prevent the flu and what can you do if you get it? So I'm going to give you my seven doctor herbalist proven natural tips for preventing the flu. So we're going to leave the pharmaceutical companies behind in their deceit and questions about efficacy, but we still need some repertoire of flu prevention things that we can do. Natural approaches can be incredibly safe, effective, and affordable, and without the side effects that you have to worry about with over-the-counter pharmaceuticals, even things like ibuprofen, which you know, can be used for a couple of days safely, but you should definitely read my blogs over at my website. I'll put the links below to some of the risks, even with five days or more of ibuprofen use, including serious damage to your stomach and the consequences that can come from that. Now, my background as an herbalist for over 30 years and one of the leaders in herbal medicine around the world, I hope allows you to have some confidence in what I bring you uh, as information on the most effective and natural herbal strategies out there. And as a doctor, I can say the supplements, the approaches I'm giving you today are what I really use with my own patients and my family too. So these seven tips are pretty much safe for everyone. Exceptions for pregnant moms, I'll note as I go along. These are safe for breastfeeding moms and as I note for kids. And you can get most of these herbs and supplements at your local Whole Foods, at other major health food stores, online at Amazon, at Mountain Rose Herbs. And if you stay tuned and become uh, subscribed to my website and to my tribe over at avivaram.com, you can opt in for anything on the website, which is totally free. You can opt in, for example, for my children's herbal ebook. And you can opt in for, or you could opt in for my detox your medicine cabinet, 25 alternatives to the common pharmaceuticals we keep in our houses. And that will put you on my mailing list. And very shortly, you will be getting a code that will allow you to order any of the supplements that I talk about in my podcast and in my blogs for 10% off plus free shipping over $49. And the reason I'm doing this is so many of you have written to me or, or at, you know, sent me comments in my blogs or podcasting, Dr. Aviva, 
I don't know where to get this stuff or it's too much work to pick and choose. So my team, my uh, nurse practitioner and my uh, nutrition staff team and I have worked together to create a formulary where you can simply go online and get the same products that I use for my family and for my patients. And it's not a store that I own. Somebody else is doing all the the ownership and and the work of it, but we want to give you link to that access just to make your life easier. If you want to, obviously no obligation at all. It's just, I'm trying to do everything I can to make your life easier because I know how hard everyone's working these days. And it's a lot to go in and try to figure out what supplements to use at the store, which ones to purchase and so forth on top of it. So let's get to the seven tips. Some of them you don't have to purchase at all. One is so common and so silly, but it's just basic hygiene. It's washing your hands often and using hugs instead of handshakes. So if you've shaken hands with someone, if you've been in a public place where you've touched a lot of things, an elevator, you know, the grocery store, the train station, or even if you've been working on a shared computer, a keyboard at work or the library, or even if exchanged money with someone, you are exchanging lots and lots of bacteria, lots and lots of organisms. Now, to some extent, that's great. It's how we build our immune system. But in flu season, it also means that you're trading flu virus with, with other people or you're picking it up from them. So how can you prevent or circumvent that? One is washing your hands for 20 seconds with soap and water and teaching your kids to do it. Using just plain soap and water, you want to make sure to get away from antibacterial soaps, antibacterial hand soaps. I know that those are being pulled off the market, but if you have any around your house, don't use them. They make it worse. They breed antibacterial resistance on top of everything. So let's say you got the flu and then by chance or your family member got the flu and then got pneumonia or an ear infection. Well, the antibiotics that you may need to treat that with won't work if you have antibiotic resistance. So goodbye to all antibacterial and hand sanitizing products. Soap and water, how long is 20 seconds? Sing the happy birthday song. Teach it to your kids. How often should you wash your hands? Three or four times a day. Make sure they don't get dried out. And you know, if you've had a lot of contact, you've been at a party, you've been shaking hands a lot, you've been on a computer keyboard at work, get up periodically and wash your hands. Try to keep your hands and teach your kids this as much as possible away from your eyes, nose, and mouth. Now, as we touch our hands like a couple of hundred times a day. So some of it is just a matter of what we do. We brush our hands away from our eyes. We have a little itchy nose. Again, this is partly how we build our immune tolerance. But during flu season, it's also exactly how we inoculate ourselves. One really great thing you can do is try giving hugs over handshakes. Hugs do not spread the flu virus. It's just the handshake, or it's just touching other things. And we can all use more hugs. So seriously, you're much less likely to get sick that way. And actually giving hugs and connecting with others boosts your oxytocin. And guess what that does? It boosts your immunity. So that's an awesome thing. Now, I want to mention something else. Your doctor is probably going to ignore the advice of staying home when sick. Most of us were trained to show up at work unless we were practically dying. I am not kidding about that. There are medical journal articles about should your doctor st- or should you stay home when you're sick. So your well-meaning doctor may be the biggest germ spreader of all. So if you're sick or your kids are sick, try to stay home from work and keep your kids home from school. If you have 
any reason to avoid going to the doctor's office this time of year, especially if your doctor's a primary care provider, it might be a good idea. So, you know, putting off that pap smear for a week or two or a month or two, if you know you're, you know, people are coming in sick in your, in your neighborhood a lot to the doctor's office, it might not be such a bad idea. Not that I want you to put off good, med- you know, get good medical care. Just, just a word of warning. And wash your hands after you go to the doctor's office too. Okay, point number two is eat well. We should always be eating well, but this time of year, it's especially important to cut out the sugar. We know that eating sugar, even just one time, even even if you have juice, like orange juice, it suppresses your immune system, your white blood cells for hours after you've consumed it. So if you're eating sugar three times a day, every time you eat that sugar, hours after your immune system suppressed. So you can be suppressing your immune system all day long. Keep in mind that alcohol is high in sugar and also suppresses the immunity, as does processed foods. And then some foods can actually cause inflammation and increase congestion, particularly if you're sensitive, especially dairy. So if you feel like you've been exposed to the flu, I recommend cutting out dairy. But in general, I always recommend cutting out the sugar, but especially this time of year, make sure you're cutting out the sugar, processed foods, packaged fruit juices for your kids, and the alcohol. It's really tough because we're in holiday season. So there's sugar and junk and processed stuff and yummy stuff and alcohol everywhere. So, you know, do your best and really remember, it's kind of pay now or pay later don't get, you know, kind of cut down your exposure or or run the risk of being more likely to get sick. Now, it's not just what we take out, but it's also what we add in that's super important for boosting our immunity, especially good quality protein and lots and lots and lots of vegetables. I'm talking anywhere from six to 10 servings of vegetables a day. A serving is like a half a sweet potato, a baked potato, a cup of raw greens or a half a cup of cooked greens, Um, You can go online and look at serving sizes and make sure you're getting six to 10 of those a day. Really eight to 10 is optimal, but I know it can be tough. So really, you know, aim for the stars. If you get six, you're doing a great job. Most Americans are getting about one. So you really want to get over that hump. And then in general, a whole foods diet, minus dairy and sugar, lots and lots of protein, good quality fats, plenty of vegetables is one of your best protections against getting sick. And you also want to keep in mind staying hydrated. When we get really dried out, our mucous membranes get more inflamed and more irritated and we're more likely to get sick that way. So stay really well hydrated. The third tip is to get extra rest. If you've been burning the candle at both ends for a while, this is a really good time to give yourself permission to pause. A tired body means your immune system isn't fired up as it could be and you're more susceptible to getting sick. So make a commitment to getting at least seven hours of sleep each night, preferably even eight, until you're past cold and flu season, at least, you know, during the cold winter months. I mean, naturally and biologically, we are evolutionary pro- evolutionarily programmed to go to bed earlier this time of year. So think about that. You know, getting into bed at 10 o'clock at night may sound crazy and unrealistic, but give yourself permission to nourish yourself that way. Read a book, fall asleep naturally. If you're having trouble sleeping, head over to my blog about how to get better Z's. That'll really help you start to get a good, good sleep habits on and get some herbs and supplements into you. If you're really having trouble, that can help you help you sleep much better and boost your immunity. 
Now, the next one is sort of goes hand in hand with getting better, getting better and extra rest, which is busting stress. This time of year, on top of everything, you know, we're not in that sort of laid back summer season, especially for women, this time of year starts to get really harried, right? You're getting holiday gifts on top of everything else you've got going on. You're starting to get geared up for, you know, cooking big meals if you're hosting holidays at your house. But also on top of it, for a lot of us, family of origin issues, you know, gathering together with your family isn't always easy. You know, we we have these sort of external like, Hallmark holiday kind of, you know, marketing going on out there, like tis the season to be jolly. But if your home life wasn't great growing up and you haven't healed that with your family, if there was emotional abuse, verbal abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, trauma, going home is actually going to be a real shocker for your immune system. And I, I, I would venture to say that a lot of you go home for the holidays and then come back to your house and get sick right after. And there are reasons for that, right? Stress, like sugar, is a big hit to your immune system. So if you're really stressed out, check out my blogs on my website on permission to pause, but also check out the quickie. The quickie is not what it sounds like. It's an amazing, super fast meditation. You can do it in 30 seconds, and then you can repeat it as many times as you like. So it can be a 30-second meditation. It can be a five-minute meditation or a 15-minute meditation. Use it how you wish. But the really cool thing is you can use it right there at the Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner table or Hanukkah dinner table with your family. Things are getting agitated. Things are getting irritated. You're getting stressed out. You can sit there right and do it right there in your own mind with your own breathing, with your eyes open, and nobody will be the worse for wear. And I'll put the link for you, of course, right below. Now, the next tip, and here we're starting to get into more of the things that you can do that require some um, supplements or some tools or, or whatnot. The first thing that you can do, and, and for really for kids like six and over, you can even make this a game and do it with them, is to try a daily saline flush. Even if you do it two or three times a week, it can really be beneficial. Saline flushes in both adults, it's like a rinsing, a saline rinse with a neti pot. You can also get a plastic bottle that's specific for saline rinses at the pharmacy, regular pharmacy. They have them for kids, they have them for adults. And they're very easy to use. And you can even take it traveling with you. So you, know, you can throw it in your bag. What you do is a saline rinse using the saline solution that's provided. Do not add in herbs. Do not add in essential oils. These are not proven safe and can cause irritation to your delicate nasal mucosa membranes. And so that can actually worsen the problem. Just use the water and the saline provided. And this has been shown to, in both adults and children, reduce colds, reduce respiratory infections, reduce work and school absences, and reduce the need for antibiotics. So daily or several times weekly saline rinse. I wanted to say a quick word about the saline rinse before I go on. You know, I really don't recommend it in pregnancy. It's definitely not recommended if you have any immune compromise. And if you already have a sinus infection or a cold, then I don't recommend using it because then it can be flushing bacteria further in and I don't want you to do that. So this is really if you're healthy and for prevention and not if you are on any medications or have any problems with immune suppression. So I just wanted to add that in. The next tip is to take your vitamins. Now, there are a number of immune supporting supplements that you can use for yourself and for your children. So for adults and kids, 
I recommend taking these supplements either throughout cold and flu season if you're particularly susceptible to getting sick or if you start coming on to cold or flu symptoms. For kids, particularly if they're picky eaters, I recommend a multivitamin, multimineral supplement, which is a great way to cover the bases and make sure that they're getting the overall nutrition that they need. For adults, if you're getting a really great diet, you're getting protein and a good quality fat at every meal, you're getting that six to 10 servings of vegetables a day, you might not need a multi. And kids who are really good eaters might not need a multi. But if you're not getting that amount of nutrition that I just described, then a multi is probably a great idea for you too. And over at the formulary that we're creating, which should be available by the first week of December, you can also find this variety of supplements that I'm talking about right now. So in addition to the multivitamin, vitamin D is really important for optimal immune function. And it's really hard to get enough vitamin D Honestly, even most of the year round, I find that most of my patients are, are deficient or insufficient in vitamin D unless they're supplementing. Studies have shown that people who have vitamin D deficiency are more than 10 times more likely to get, the cold, get a cold or the flu than those who have adequate blood levels of vitamin D. And the ideal blood level is between about 50 and 80 nanograms per deciliter. Most of us are far lower than that. We also know that supplementing vitamin D can reduce your likelihood of getting colds or flu by about 42%, so it's pretty significant. Now, how much vitamin D you need depends on your starting level, but for most adults, starting with 2,000 IUs of vitamin D3 daily, and for most kids, any uh, kids under 7, anywhere from 400 to 800 IUs daily, kids 7 and older... 800 to 1,000 IUs daily, and kids older than 12 can really take the adult dose of anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 units daily totally safely. A multivitamin or a prenatal vitamin is perfectly appropriate for pregnant women, and uh, vitamin D, two to 4,000 units a day, totally safe for pregnant and nursing moms. The next supplement to take daily if you are preventing or nipping a cold and flu in the bud is buffered vitamin C. And the recommended dose for kids is about 500 milligrams uh, once to twice daily. And for adults, 500 to 1,000 milligrams up to four times daily is what I recommend. Usually one to 2,000 daily for prevention, but up to four times a day at the onset of cold symptoms. The role of vitamin C in supporting the immune system is well-established and there are a number of studies looking particularly, for example, at kids showing that the um, supplementation of vitamin C, much like I mentioned with vitamin D, can reduce the incidence of colds, upper respiratory infections, school absences, and need for antibiotics. The next supplement I recommend is zinc, and I usually use it in the form of zinc citrate. The dose for prevention for adults is 30 milligrams a day. For nipping symptoms in the bud, 60 milligrams a day or 30 milligrams twice a day. You want to check what's, what you're getting in your multivitamin as well so you're not exceeding that 60 milligrams a day. And um, it's best to take with food because it can cause significant nausea if you take it on its own. Pregnant women can take 30 milligrams of zinc a day plus what's in your multi. And for kids, the dosing is by age. So see my written blog. The link is below this podcast for the written out doses for kids. Again, with zinc, much like the vitamin C and the vitamin D, great evidence for reducing 
the amount of times and the severity of upper respiratory infections that you get. Probiotics are really important for your overall immune system health. A healthy gut flora provides an important barrier against pathogens and is really important to the overall health of your immune system. A typical preventative dose throughout cold and flu season is a product that contains anywhere from 5 to 20 billion colony-forming units per capsule. And you want to look for species that contain um, products that contain lactobacillus species and bifidobacterium species. And you can also look for ones that combine saccharomyces as well. These have been shown to prevent colds, flus, upper respiratory infection, both in adults and kids. So um, the way to do it is just to take it every day and you can do it throughout cold and flu season. And then of course, make sure that if you do start to get symptoms, you are on a probiotic. Now for all of these products, there are companies that make products specific for kids. You can get them in powdered formed, liquid forms, products that taste really good. So over in the children's section of my formulary, you will find appropriate products for kids. And certainly if you go um, to Whole Foods, for example, someone in the health products section can help you look for appropriate products. They're not, of course, able to prescribe, but they can show you which products are oriented for kids and which ones are the best sellers. Now, the next and final supplement I recommend for prevention throughout cold and flu season, and if you are coming on to illness, is fish oil. You can use uh, any of the fish oils, or you can use cod liver oil. This is a super old time remedy for keeping the immune system strong. And it is probably largely because it's one anti-inflammatory, but even more importantly, it contains a large amount of vitamin A and vitamin D. Vitamin A is incredibly important for immune protection. Now, if you're pregnant, you cannot supplement more than 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day total, and you should not be supplementing vitamin A, but you can get vitamin A from what's in your multivitamin, and you can get a prenatal fish oil that has an appropriate dose for you. So look for prenatal fish oil. Again, you can go online and look for that, or you can look in the pregnancy section of the formulary. Okay, let's switch our attention over now to herbs. All the supplements that I've just mentioned are for daily use, for prevention, and when you're coming on to symptoms. So when you're coming on to symptoms, you can just keep taking your daily dose, or you can increase to the higher end range of the doses that I mentioned. There are also some herbal medicines that are powerful allies for boosting immunity and preventing the flu and colds in general. They're my personal go-to for health and healing, along with diet, rest, and the supplements that I mentioned above. Many of them have proven powerful antiviral and immune-boosting effects, but are gentle and safe on the body. So these are the ones that I generally consider for flu prevention. Echinacea, elderberry, astragalus, and the medicinal mushrooms like reishi, shiitake, cordyceps, and maitake. Echinacea liquid extract is a fabulous way to take it as an adult. And if you don't use alcohol for yourself or you don't want to use it for children, you can use a glycerin extract. I use products by Herb Farm. Gaia Herbs also makes great uh, echinacea extracts. And the typical dose for prevention is actually about a half a teaspoon 
one to four times a day. If you know, if you've been exposed, take a little more. And for treatment is actually about one half a teaspoon, two to four times a day for kids and one teaspoon, two to four times a day for adults. This echinacea has been shown to be safe for pregnant and nursing moms. So it is my go-to for pregnant and nursing moms. Also, elderberry has not been proven safe, but there's no reason to suspect that it's not appropriate for pregnancy. I don't usually recommend uh, elderberry for daily use for prevention, but if you do start to get cold and flu symptoms, you can use echinacea and elderberry together, and you can use that for up to a couple of weeks while you're pregnant with confidence that it is safe. With the medicinal mushrooms, I usually recommend a reishi mushroom product such as reishi mushroom supreme by Planetary Herbs, which also has shiitake mushrooms and astragalus and a few other immune boosting herbs, or one of my favorite products, Host Defense Reishi by Host Defense Organic Mushrooms. Or I also love a product by Urban Moonshine, which is reishi mushroom double extracted. It's organic. It's a wonderful product. And if you need something on the quick, you know, you don't have time to order it online right now, you can pick those up at a local health food store like Whole Foods. Also, don't forget the power of cooking with herbs. You can use onions, garlic, ginger, and turmeric in your cooking. You can use turmeric and ginger in smoothies and fresh homemade vegetable juices, a great way to up your vegetable intake. And all of these have been used historically to prevent and treat infection. And science validates the antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory effects of these herbs. Now, if you do get the flu, there are some important things that you can do. First of all, a lot of what folks think is the flu is not the flu at all. So if somebody says to me, oh, I just was, you know, I just had the flu. It's often that they actually had a, a bad upper respiratory infection. In fact, a New York State Public Health Review of cases that I just received um, this past week, I get these as part of just being a doctor and having a New York State medical license. Um, I get updates on what infectious diseases are are active at the time. Uh, recently showed that of 1,200 individuals that went in for care to a medical office or emergency department for the flu, actually only 9% of those tested positive for the flu. The rest were all just viral upper respiratory infections, which don't mean you, you still don't feel like poo, but doesn't mean it's, but it means most of the time it's not the flu. That said, everything I've said so far in this episode today of this podcast is totally appropriate if you have any kind of upper respiratory infection or viral infection that, you know, cold symptoms, anything like that. So if you do get the flu, hydration is probably the most important thing you can do because especially if you have a high fever, you're burning up a lot of fluids, you have to stay hydrated to keep your immune system healthy as well. So it's essential to drink plenty of water, really drinking some water every hour, making sure your child stays hydrated, using hot tea, soups. And for kids, if they're just not wanting to take fluids very much, this is the one time that I think giving them herbal or juice, you know, 100% fruit juice ice pops is really appropriate because the most important thing is to keep them from getting dehydrated. That's where most complications come from, from fever. It's not the fever or the infection, it's getting dehydrated. So you can give them herbal or just uh, fruit juice ice pops. Comforting support. You know, you really have to rest. Turn the lights down low, shut the shades and the curtains, sleep as much as you can, watch old movies that make you laugh, just, you know, just chill and let yourself do that until you're really fully feeling recovered. If you can, try not to go back to work while you're still feeling really fatigued, even in that day or two where you still feel like you can get up and around. 
Start taking the above nutritional supplements and herbs that I mentioned if you are coming on to the illness because that will reduce your likelihood of the illness becoming more complicated and it can actually make it last fewer days with less severe symptoms. Now, don't wait till you get sick and you're tucked in bed and you have to try to find a friend who can go out and get the supplements for you. Get some of the basics, even if you decide not to do them for prevention, get some of the basics and have them at home in a home medicine chest. Such an important thing to do. Now, we have an herbal alternative to Tamiflu, which is called elderberry syrup. Elderberry is a common herb that grows in the United States, grows all around Europe, many places in the world. And the berries yield a, um, a, uh, a, a syrup, a juice that can be made into syrup. And that syrup is very effective for treating flu, preventing the severity and, and reducing how long it lasts if you start taking it within the first 48 to 72 hours of getting sick. The dose for adults is one tablespoon three times a day. The dose for kids is one teaspoon three times a day. Older kids get the adult dose. It's very safe. I definitely recommend it in my practice for pregnant women who are who have the flu to reduce the severity and, and you know try to get them well as quickly as possible. And it's definitely safe for nursing moms. The one caveat is if you have a child under one year old, make sure that your elderberry syrup is made with glycerin and not honey because babies under one should not get honey. There are also a number of herbs and nutrients that are specific to help you tolerate the aches and pains and common viral symptoms that do accompany the flu. To keep it simple, I'm going to not go into those here, but to learn more about those, head over to my really popular article, How Seven Top Herbalists and Doctors Fight the Flu, and stock up on some of those items as well to have at home so you have them on hand if you need them. Now, I hope you get through this entire flu season without needing anything that I've said in this podcast today. Prevention is certainly going to make that more likely. I wish you an amazing healthy season. I hope the flu bypasses you and all your loved ones. And I look forward to hearing from you with your experiences in the comments section below. I will post a full summary of this podcast at the link below. So there's going to be a full written transcript. It's, it's really more an article. It's not a technical transcript. It's an article with all the information bullet pointed out in a way that makes it really easy for you to use. And if you found this helpful, please let me know by dropping a comment on iTunes so I can hear what's useful for you and what you want to hear more of. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.